Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you've found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to season two, episode 44 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. This is a podcast we're calling Understanding Leverage Using Equity. This is part two of a podcast that I started last week on using debt as leverage. This is going to be using equity. So it's going to build off of some of those foundational principles. Hopefully you enjoyed what you heard last week. If you haven't heard last week's podcast, I'd probably encourage you to to go back and listen to that before you listen to this one. Suffice to say, it will be another note-taking episode. So get a cup of coffee ready, hopefully from something other than a Keurig, and join me on the show today. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Thank you, everybody, once again, for joining me on the show today, understanding leverage and using equity to do it. This is part two of something that I, I the foundation that I laid talking about debt last time. And as a as a quick recap, um, we went through the cost of debt. You know, why would you uh, why would you pay twice the rate uh, versus what you have right now? Uh, and and incur all of those interest payments. If you if you haven't listened to that uh, episode, or or if it's been a week since you listened to it, you might want to go back and take a quick pass at it. We talked about the real cost of borrowing. You know, you're getting hung up on a three percent versus a six percent rate, and what that means across a ten year term uh, in terms of interest payments. Really tried to break it down into its most granular aspect. So hopefully that allowed you to see with a little bit more clarity what we're truly talking about here. More importantly, the commitment that you'd be able to get in place from a lender uh, to fund your future growth strategy is one that allows you to acquire practices, uh, increase your EBITDA, and increase the valuation of the business that you're building, creating equity on balance sheet. And that's really the compelling reason to do it. And when we start talking about the the, the actual cost of borrowing, uh, I went through an example of a, a practice that we bought that you would in theory buy. I mean, uh, it's generating a million dollars in revenue, $200,000 in EBITDA. So we value it at four times EBITDA multiple, or meaning we buy it for $800,000 uh, and then the cost of debt to, to do it over a 10 year term. So that was last week's podcast. Talk about using debt, um, getting uh, getting your your lending commitments in place to fund your future growth strategy as we move into the next twelve to twenty four to thirty six months, um, and really being able to execute at a high level. I think that's uh, critically important. Where what I want to spend time today on builds off of those concepts. All right. And again, this may be something where if you're on the treadmill right now or uh, driving to or from work or scurrying between patients to inhale a sandwich for lunch or something like that, listen to today's podcast. But you probably want to go back and listen to it a second time, maybe with a cup of coffee 
and a pad and pen in hand just to make some notes and to kind of think through uh, some of what I'm going to share on the equity front, because I hope this will be equally impactful and, and very valuable. So let's pick up where we kind of left off with that uh, example practice, okay? And, and the example practice, once again, is a million dollars in revenue. It's 200 grand in EBITDA, value it at a four times EBITDA multiple, meaning it's gonna it's gonna sell or you're gonna acquire it for eight hundred thousand dollars. Now last in the last episode, I tried to give you the dollar differences, the specificity around um, you know, seemingly paying twice as much in terms of an interest rate, like what that actually meant at a granular term. Here's a here's another way to think about mitigating the impact of an increase in interest rate. All right. And that is what the title of the episode is using equity as leverage. All right. What the hell does that mean? Well, what it means is, and you should all be familiar with this because this is exactly what enterprise level DSOs do all day. And it's something you should start to get comfortable with for the same reasons. Using equity as leverage or equity as currency, as we sometimes talk about it, is something where when you've built a valuable business that generates a higher volume of EBITDA, it's going to value more highly, your business is going to value more highly from an EBITDA multiple standpoint than the target you're acquiring. You've heard us you know, talk loosely and maybe even break down this concept of arbitrage. All right, arbitrage is simply a concept that states that if your business I'm just going to make up some numbers here. If your business generates $2 million in EBITDA, it probably values at about a seven times EBITDA multiple. All right. If you're going to buy that practice I just mentioned that values at a four times EBITDA multiple, a dollar of EBITDA on your balance sheet is worth seven times. A dollar of EBITDA when you're acquiring it is worth four times. That's three turns of improvement after you've acquired that business. That's arbitrage. You, you've created a more valuable business and the, and the practice you acquire is immediately more valuable under your umbrella than what it was when it stood on its own. Okay, so creating equity on balance sheet is really important because it's the value of your business, especially if you ever want to exit it. But the other thing is it allows you to start to use some of the equity that you've built up as currency to get acquisitions done. So if somebody is really hung up on the interest rate of the debt and they don't feel comfortable um, with uh, you know, if they if they've been paying three percent on an interest rate for for debt, and now the the bank is going to charge them six percent going forward, and they just can't wrap their head around seemingly paying twice as much in interest to get it done. Well, there's another way to look at acquisitions, which is to say something along the lines of that pra- that million dollar revenue practice that we're going to buy for eight hundred thousand dollars. Maybe we don't take on the full $800,000 in debt, meaning we don't take out the loan for $800,000. Maybe we're going to take on a loan for $600,000. Well, what happens to the other $200,000 of the value of that practice? We're going to allow that seller to roll equity, to roll $200,000 into our business 
and stay on board for a handful of years. This is what enterprise-level DSOs do all the time. It minimizes the amount of debt they have to take on. It also uses one of their most valuable currencies judiciously, which is the equity they've created on balance sheet to make their dollar go further. You can do the exact same thing. So if we're talking about an increase in rate and you're hung up on the the interest rate that you're paying, then simply figure out a way not to borrow as many dollars. If you borrow fewer dollars, you're paying less in interest dollars, even though the rate is higher, but you're still coming out of pocket with less cash to do it, to, to cover the interest pay, to, to cover the loan payment, I mean, and using some of the equity that you've built up on balance sheet as a way to, to, to minimize some of that seemingly higher rate is completely appropriate for an, for a, an acquisition strategy moving forward. And this is a concept that far too many of you have heard us talk about, but you've never considered it to be a catalyst for your for the growth of your business. And now is the time to do that. So let's let's think about this and let me try to break down some more numbers for you. And this is where if you listen to this at first pass, hopefully I'll connect the dots. But if you go back and listen to it a second time, then you know you can take some notes on it and, and really maybe uh, put some pen to paper with it. So let's let's stick with a, a bis- that your business is valued, uh, excuse me, that your business is generating $2 million in EBITDA. All right. And like I said before, roughly speaking, uh, a business generating $2 million in EBITDA is probably worth seven times on a valuation multiple. It could be more. It might be less. Let's just use seven times because it's a round number here. And the, the I think the the range that I gave in the prior podcast was uh, a solo practice going to value somewhere between three to five times EBITDA. A group that generates a million dollars in EBITDA is going to value it six times. A group that generates $2 million in EBITDA is going to value it seven times. A group that generates $3 million in EBITDA is going to value it eight times. Those are not hard and fast. They're just simple rules of thumb to give you some level of guidance, okay? So going back to the fact that you've built a business that generates $2 million in EBITDA, if it values it seven times, that means it's a business valued at $14 million. $2 $2 million in EBITDA times seven is $14 million. And let's say you own 100% of it, all right? You own it outright. It's all yours. You may have some debt on it, but you don't have any other partners in the business. Well, when you look at buying that $800,000 practice and you're going to take on six hundred grand in a loan and you're going to allow that seller to roll $200,000 in equity into your business, to their $200,000 of a business valued at 14 million is about 1.4% ownership stake, all right? So they're about a one and a half percent minority partner at this point. Not a whole hell of a lot as it relates to upsetting your cap table, I would say. But if that allows you to, uh, to use some of your equity as currency and to take on a lower volume of debt, meaning lower monthly payment, maybe you start to get a little more comfortable with a higher rate at that point because you're taking on less dollars to do it, all right? So this is using equity as currency and the ability to to use the equity on balance sheet that you built up as a way to make further acquisitions. And again, something like 
you know, a, bringing a minority partner at one to two percent ain't a whole heck of a lot. So from a from a leadership, from a governance, from a control standpoint, it ought to be something that would be um, completely reasonable to you. Here's the other thing. I, I mentioned the the eight hundred thousand dollar practice that we're going to buy six hundred grand in debt, two hundred in an equity role. That's a business that was generating, I said, a million dollars in revenue and two hundred grand in EBITDA. All right, so you're acquiring their two hundred thousand dollars in EBITDA, and you're allowing them to roll two hundred thousand dollars worth of equity into your business. What happens if you could do that five times? So, meaning you found four other practices that were each generating. 200 grand in EBITDA, valued the same way, same deal structure, brought in all four of those as minority partners. You know, if each one of them rolls 1.4% into your business, you know, now, now, and, and you do it five times, now we're talking about we've got a, a business where we own about 93% of it and we have minority partners totaling a whopping 7% of it. Again, not a whole heck of a lot. But that's five practices generating $200,000 in EBITDA a piece, which means aggregated, that's an additional million dollars worth of EBITDA, isn't it? Well, if we add a million dollars worth of EBITDA through acquisitions to the $2 million in EBITDA that we already had, that would get us to $3 million in EBITDA, wouldn't it? And remember what I just said a little while ago? I said a million, a group that generates a million dollars in EBITDA values at about six times. A group that generates $2 million in EBITDA values at about seven times. And a group that generates about $3 million in EBITDA values at about eight times. So now we started with a business that was generating $2 million that we owned 100% of it. We made five acquisitions that got us to another million dollars in EBITDA, our total of three million. Doing that, we brought on a couple of minority partners that ended up with about 7% of the business. We retained the other 93%. But because it got us from two to $3 million in EBITDA, we got an additional turn on the multiple. So what does that mean? Well, now we've got a business generating $3 million in EBITDA valued at eight times, about $24 million in, in equity value. We own 93% of it and we have 7% minority partners. So we started out with a business that we owned 100% of. And I said it was generating 2 million in EBITDA at a seven times multiple, which means we owned a $14 million business outright. Now we own, 93% of a business valued at $24 million, which is the equivalent of slightly over $22 million worth of equity value. We just went from owning value of $14 million in our business to over $22 million in a business that was valued at a total of 24 and we had 7% minority partners in it. Is that a good ride? Is that a good outcome for us? I would argue that it that it is. I would 
first and foremost, argue that the cost of the debt, if we're able to create that type of an outcome, cost of the debt doesn't matter at all. But if you want to stay hung up on the difference in the rates and the seemingly high breakup fees and everything like that, that you'd have to go through to get there, then okay. But more importantly, using the equity that you've built up on balance sheet as a catalyst to grow the business is incredibly important if you can add that much EBITDA and improve operations and create a more valuable business. Okay. This is a different way of thinking about acquisitions and how you're using debt and equity as leverage to get it done. All right. This is something that needs to be in your wheelhouse. It needs to be in your thought process because it allows you to mitigate the seemingly high rates of debt that we're seeing in the debt markets currently. Here's the other piece that's really important. It opens up the acquisition market to a completely different category of sellers. All right. I mentioned in the last episode that you needed to start developing your pipeline for 2023 and beyond pipeline for acquisitions, uh, identifying targets, uh, knowing the business owners, knowing some general characteristics about them. Do you know them on a personal level or did you need to have somebody connect you to them if you didn't know them and somebody else did? All right. That's pipeline development. That was under the assumption that people would be ready to sell their business outright and potentially walk away in short order. There will be plenty of opportunities for that. There's a different segment of the market that is looking for a safe harbor, but is not ready to retire and hang it up. They also are aspirational. They would like to go along for the ride and and maybe cash out some chips uh, if you sell the business down the road. This is a great segment of the market for you for a couple of reasons. One, you don't have to take on as much debt to do it. That's the first thing. The second thing is, if they roll equity into your business, they're not going to leave. <laughs> it minimizes the associate turnover problem that every group practice has. They are a committed anchor doctor in that practice. Oh, by the way, it's the practice they've owned for 20 years or more. So you're basically assured of continuity of goodwill and patient flow. All right. This is key. If you're approaching the, the acquisition market from a standpoint of, hey, Dr. Smith, are you ready to sell your practice? No. Okay. That door's closed. Hey, Dr. Smith, these are some challenging times. I'd love to talk with you about becoming a partner in our business, me acquiring most of your practice, but you becoming an equity partner in what we're building. Would you like to talk more about that? That's a totally different conversation with a totally different mindset on the other end. And it is a substantial part of the market that you're going to encounter when and if we enter into a recession. Okay. So understanding how to use debt is of primary importance and getting the capital structure committed and straight from your lender. Everything begins with that. The second thing is understanding where and how to use leverage and the tools you have in your toolbox to really facilitate that growth strategy. And 
allowing a seller to roll equity into your business, into your more valuable business, and become a minority partner in your business is something that you should absolutely have as a tool in your toolbox. If you do, it will avail you of more targets, more opportunities, different conversations than the sell and walk away point. I would argue that that's really arguably a better acquisition target than somebody who's willing to sell and just walk away and leave you with all the the risks uh, going forward. So think about that. I I know this was like a lot of math kind of off the cuff and verbally. I tried to organize my thoughts ahead of time so it wouldn't be quite as confusing for you. And if you've heard this on the first pass through, you might want to go back and just like listen to this episode again and and just put the pen to paper and follow the notes um, that I kind of laid out for you. Um, if you do, if you are interested in learning more about things like this, we do teach a, a master class called Mergers, Acquisitions, and Affiliations. I think there are two of them between now and the end of the calendar year. I have to go back and check on that. And, and I think we've got space in, in all of them. So if you're looking to learn more about how to become your own director of business development, essentially. That's, you know, the legal structures, it's due diligence process. Um, it's um, uh, building a pipeline, identifying targets. Uh, it's acquisitions, 100% acquisitions with an equity role. We talk about affiliations. We also talk about mergers, which I don't know that that's the right thing right here for this conversation. But suffice to say that the masterclass covers a wide variety of um, aspects of building different tools in your toolbox and, you know, certainly becoming your own director of business development. This does go back to the one thing that is critical, and that is a committed source of capital in writing with defined um, parameters around which the lender will continue lending for you to execute your growth strategy. If you do not have that in writing, in writing is the most important thing. If you do not have that in writing from your current lender, you have to have that if you're going to grow your business next year. Because what you can't do is identify uh, acquisition targets, get to the point of almost closing the deal, and then finding out whether or not the bank will will fund it or not, and having them take three to six months before you get the approval to do it. It is going to be a frothy market coming up, and private equity-backed groups can typically close as fast as 30 to 60 days if, if they want. You need to be equally as nimble, okay? So that committed source of capital is the cornerstone. It is the first piece that I cannot impress upon you enough. This is the time of year to do it and to get clarity on it. We'd be happy to help you with that. Um, and, and John Paul, our growth capital specialist, is somebody that reads more financial statements and loan documents than the law allows, and he's a pro at it. So we'll link to his contact information in the show notes, um, but JP um, should be a resource to you that you should reach out to, or I can, I'd can i be happy to connect you to him. Uh, the other thing is thinking about how you would use equity that you created on balance sheet as currency to get more acquisitions done. And that's... Uh, um, that's a critical component of what should be a growth strategy as we move into 2023 and frankly, probably 2024 as well. So hopefully these two episodes 
taken in concert together um, will give you a, a different look to things and, and some of the housekeeping and priorities uh, for the next couple of weeks and months uh, as we roll into 2023. We're really optimistic about uh, the next couple of years to come, and we can't wait to see the, the uh, opportunities it generates, uh, certainly for our clients. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Thanks, everybody, once again, for joining me on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, both today and last week, um, or in the last episode, whenever you listen to it. Um, I tried to be organized in in all of this and and really kind of sequential or, or you know, uh, try to, to, to put a lot of these thoughts into a process that would be easy to follow. This was, frankly, this is pretty hard, I know, to follow in audio. So I would encourage you to to go back and listen to both episodes, take some notes on it. If there are things that are not clear to you or things you want to dig into at a, at a deeper level or questions that you have, um, look, I, I take probably five to 10 prospective client calls a week. Um, and, and Mark Flock, John Paul and Aiden Bradley, um, uh, who work more in a client facing role than I do right now probably take every bit as many calls as I do. So our team is here at your disposal and and this is what we do. We want to see the coming year to two years be very uh, impactful for our clients. We believe wholeheartedly in this doctor founded debt funded emerging market space. Um, it is the space with the highest level of opportunity and the ability to, to generate a lot of uh, equity on balance sheet, a lot of wealth. We want to help you do that. So I would encourage you to reach out to me directly at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com or any of our other specialists. Aiden is A-D-I-N, A-D is in dog, I-N is in Nancy, Aiden at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. He is um, our executive consultant. Mark Flock is Mark at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. He's the Partnership Pathways Mergers uh, Specialist, Associate Equity Specialist. And John Paul, uh, uh, J-O-H-N at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com is our Growth Capital Specialist. And John is the one that works with all of our clients to get all the committed sources of capital and, and debt structure straight that facilitates their growth strategy for the next five to 10 years. It would be time well spent for you to check the box on any number of those as you round out 2022 and get ready for 2023. Going to be a lot of good opportunities to come. Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Really appreciate you being a, a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode. <music>